morning. Uh, scripture, today's scripture is from Mark 10, verses 32 to 45. They were now on the way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Taking the twelve disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. Listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem, where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip, and kill him, and after three days he will rise again. When James and John, the son of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him, Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with, my, uh, with baptism of suffering, but I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones who has chosen. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord, lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Michael and Ren, for reading for us this morning. It's a good passage for us to look at. Well, I don't know about you, but I want my life to mean something. I want to make a difference. I want to be someone who has influence. I want to be someone who, when I die, I missed. I want to be someone who other people look at and admire. I want to be someone who other people enjoy spending time with. If I'm honest, I want to look back at my life and say, man, my life was great. If I'm really honest, I want to say that I was great. (laughs) I did a great job. I lived a great life. Can you relate to those desires? This longing for meaning, this longing for greatness. I think that these feelings come from a place that's very deep inside of us. I, I think it comes from actually something that God has put there. That we want our lives to count for something. 
We want our lives to mean something. We want to be people who have made a difference. And those are good desires. But the natural question then is, well, how do I get there? How do I get there? And when I think about my life, I think about all these different seasons I've found myself in. And, and in each one, greatness and meaning has perhaps ta- taken on a different definition. I think about going up into, into junior high from elementary school, and, and that was this exciting transition. And I get into junior high school, and I, I see these students that I admire. And I'm like, man, the way that they live, the things that they do, the, the, the friends that they have, they seem pretty great. And so I start acting a certain way. I start reading certain books. I start doing certain things so that I can fit in with this group of people. Believe it or not, I dyed my hair black um, when I was in junior high uh, to, to try to fit in with these people who I thought were great. And it's funny because when I think about that, I'm like, man, that was, that was juvenile. That was young. You know, that was silly for me to care what other people think about me. Of course I grew out of it, right? <laughs> no, I haven't grown out of that at all. And if it wasn't school, maybe it was me watching a show on TV or, or watching a movie and the characters on the show or in the movie, man, they look like they're living great lives. They look like they have it all together. And, and watching them, I can start thinking, man, if I can only be more like these people in these television shows. Or maybe I'm scrolling through Instagram or Facebook and People who aren't really even my friends, but maybe I went to junior high with them. And man, they're living these picture-perfect lives. They got things together. They're, they're, they're thriving in their careers. They got great kids. And they, it looks like they're happy in their marriage. It looks like they're having fun all of the time. And, and I look at that and I'm like, man, wouldn't that be great? Man, my life would be great if it just looked more like these people's lives. Or maybe it's looking at the lives of the rich and famous. Athletes, actors, politicians. These people who we see and we're like, man, they got it all together. Their lives look great. But if I'm not careful, if you and I are not careful, we'll begin to think that greatness and meaning in our lives comes from having the right friend groups, comes from having kids that are successful and are thriving. We'll begin to think that greatness and meaning comes from having the right stuff, having the right job, having enough money. We'll begin to think that greatness and meaning comes by being in the right type of position. Or being someone who is charitable enough or giving enough. Because if you're anything like me, I see popular, affluent, wealthy, influential, cool people. Successful, recognized, attractive people. And I think to myself, wouldn't that be great? Man, if I could only be like that. It would be amazing. It would be great. I would be great. How about you? 
What runs through your head when you scroll through Facebook and Instagram? What runs through your head when you watch movies and TV shows of characters who just seem to be living these amazing lives? What runs through your head when you watch whether it's other students at school or your co-workers succeed? Who get the promotions, who get the raises, who are driving nice cars, wearing nice clothes? What runs through your head? Do you look at them and see an image of greatness and meaning that, that you desire? What runs through your head when you are sitting on the sidelines of your kids' sports team and and you're watching these other kids do really, really well and maybe your kids aren't doing so great and you're like, man, if only my kids did better, that would be great. Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus turns our perspective of greatness on its head. Jesus invites us to consider that maybe the standard of greatness popularity and admiration that we see around us is not the standard that we've been created for. We need to turn our attention back to Jesus and see that greatness and meaning begin by us walking with Jesus. Greatness and meaning begin by us walking with Jesus. Now, would you say that Jesus lived a great life? Was Jesus' life full of meaning? Was it great? Of course, if you said no, you're in a church. The answer is always yes when it comes to Jesus, right? Yes, Jesus lived a great life. But we need to ask the question, how did Jesus define greatness? How did Jesus define greatness? Because it's really interesting to me, when we look at this scene... In Mark's gospel this morning, we, we have Jesus who, his ministry, his teaching, there's so much momentum. Jesus is popular. People are coming to him. He, he's healing people. He's feeding people. He's caring for people. He's meeting them in the places of their deepest need. His teaching is revolutionary. People are traveling to hear him speak. And so if, if I was Jesus in this case, the last thing I would do would be to walk into a situation that was going to end my teaching career. The last thing I would do is put myself in a position that the momentum and all the things that I have going for me were going to stop. But what do we read here in Mark chapter 10? And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him, spit on him, Flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Instead of preserving and protecting this amazing teaching ministry, instead of doing what you and I would consider to be great, 
Jesus instead doesn't look at the world around him for a standard of greatness. Rather, Jesus saw the greatest thing as being in step with the Father. Jesus saw the greatest thing as being in step with the Father. When all of us looking at him are saying, Jesus, no, you got to protect your ministry. you got to keep healing. you got to keep teaching. you got to keep doing miracles. Because that's what's great. Jesus comes to us and says, actually, what is great is being in step with the Father. And the Father's called me to walk to Jerusalem. And the Father's called me to enter into this situation where I'm going to die. It's interesting to notice what Mark is doing in his gospel. Because if you've been with us the last several weeks, you probably feel like Mark is very repetitive. Haven't we heard this talked about over and over? And we have. Um, I love nerding out over the Bible. And so this is a fun graph for all of us to learn more about the Bible. Um, In the gospel of Mark, we have three different predictions where Jesus is saying to his disciples, I am going to die. And you'll notice here the first prediction we have in in Mark chapter 8. We have Jesus makes reference to being sentenced to death. In Mark chapter 9, he only makes reference to being delivered to the chief priests and scribes. And here in his third and final prediction of what's going to take place, it's almost like it's been building to this moment. We have Jesus telling his disciples all that's going to happen to him. In the most detail. And if you look at the second to last column, or sorry, the last column, it was titled The Passion Narrative, you can see in the Gospel of Mark everywhere where the predictions that Jesus made were fulfilled. And so again, when we read on this, it's like, whoa, like, Jesus, you knew you were going to die. You you knew you were going to a place of suffering. That's not very great. And his response to us is, no guys, greatness is being in step with the Father. Unfortunately, the disciples did not get this at all. And in verse 35, we have an interesting transition in our story. James and John, the son of Zebedee, come up to Jesus and they say to him, Teacher, we want you to give for us whatever we ask of you. This is the next slide here, Larry. We want you to give for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus says to them, what do you want me to do for you? Now, it's an interesting detail that Mark makes at the beginning of this section where he says that the disciples are afraid. Why are the disciples afraid? Well, they know that Jesus is heading into a very hostile situation. And they know that in Jesus coming into Jerusalem, it it might not be a good thing. So there's a bit of fear going on that, well... If the, if the authorities are after Jesus, they might be after us too. So James and John here are trying to seize an opportunity to get their request in before they get to Jerusalem. Now what's interesting here as well, and this is totally a sidebar, but I want us to notice what James and John are doing. James and John have this desire. They have a longing inside of themselves to be great. What do they do with that longing and that desire? They bring it to Jesus. They take their longing and their desire to Jesus. And I think we can learn something from this. 
So many of us, these longings and these desires that well up inside of us, the temptation is to take them to all sorts of different places. We're tempted to, when we have longings and desires, to try to figure out how to fulfill them by our own means. We need to recognize that the longings inside of us are placed there by God, and He alone can fill them. So when these longings and these desires well up inside of us, we reorient them at the feet of Jesus, we bring them to Him. And we look at even here, Jesus is about to tell them that their desire isn't very good. (laughs) But that's not off bounds. We need to bring everything to Jesus. We run into all sorts of trouble when we take the desires that we have in our hearts and go go to everywhere but Jesus with them. Well, that's just an aside. But as our story goes on, I I love Jesus' response. You know, we, we picture James... And, and John coming to Jesus and almost like these, these two kids or, or a friend, you know, have you ever had a friend who said to you, hey, I need you to do me a favor, but I'm not going to tell you what the favor is. I need you to just say, yes, you're going to do it. <laughs> do a few of us have friends like that? You ever been asked that before? I think I've been asked that before once or twice. And you're like, um, I don't know. And I love Jesus here because he responds in so much grace and he in, indulges these disciples in, the, in this whole thing. He says, well, what do you want me to do for you? And they go on in verse 37. They, they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. And Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? You see, James and John perceived greatness in the status and the authority of other leaders. James and John looked around their social landscape and and they saw these people who, man, they were great. They had power. They had authority. They had all that came along with that. They probably drove the nicest chariots. They probably had a nice collection of animals. They probably had servants. And James and John are saying, we want to be like that. And they look at Jesus, who they are expecting to come into Jerusalem and overthrow the Romans. Like, Jesus can give that to us. That's what we want. And I love Jesus, his response here. Talking about a cup and a baptism. In Jesus' grace, he asks them these questions. Basically, he's asking them, are you able to follow me no matter what? When he's talking about the cup, it's this image of, this this symbolic drinking of, of a consequence. Most commentators point back to Isaiah chapter 53. We read in, in Isaiah 53 verse 5, but, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the cup Jesus is talking about. 
the punishment for sin. The baptism, a symbol of death to life. You know, and we, we celebrate baptism here at TCC. We get excited about it. But man, when you go down in that water, the picture we're trying to communicate is, is this death. What Jesus is saying to them, you guys, I'm about to be overwhelmed by death. Are you willing to follow me? And I love this. It's like they're in an interview or something, right? And, and the disciples come to Jesus. They're like, hey, we want the job of right hand, left hand. And she's like, okay, well, are you able to do this and that? You know, have you ever been in a job interview where you're desperate for the job? You'd be like, I don't even know what this or that is. But yes, I can do that. <laughs> and that's kind of what's going on here. James and John have no idea what Jesus is talking about. And they're like, yes, we are able. And Jesus says to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. The baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Hmm. Very simply, after these interview questions, Jesus is like, well, thanks for coming to the interview, but... I'm not actually the guy who can give you the job, so <laughs> try again next week or something, right? It's not mine to give. And this really shows how the disciples don't understand the authority of Jesus. See, if Jesus sees greatness as being in step with the Father, that was his whole ministry. The Gospel of John tells us that Jesus didn't say or do anything unless God told him to do it. And this is no different. And the disciples are coming to Jesus thinking he's the one in control. And Jesus is saying, no guys, the Father, he is the one who's in control. I'm not here to be served. I'm here to serve. That's what Jesus is saying to them. Well, the scene unfolds where Jesus redefines greatness. And you got to love what happens because the, the disciples catch wind of this request, right? And what's so funny to me is if we go back a chapter, we have, um, we have, Je- we have Jesus teaching them about being a servant of all, right? You guys got to be a servant of all. And I wish that Mark told us exactly the conversation, but my guess is that the disciples weren't saying to James and John, Hey guys, remember Jesus told us we need to be servants of all. I doubt that's what they were saying. Instead, they're probably saying, Hey, that's unfair. Why are you going to Jesus with that request? I want to be great too. And again, we have the disciples kind of with this infighting struggle for power. But Jesus calls them together and delivers a punchline. In verse 42, we read, Jesus called them to him and he said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to to be served, but to serve, 
and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus comes to his disciples and he says, Guys, you have the meaning of greatness all wrong. Your idea of having a meaningful, great life, it's all wrong. You keep looking at the people around you. You keep looking at the people who are influential and powerful and you're looking at them to define for you what greatness is. But that's not what God has made you for. That's not the greatness God has called you to. Jesus says to them, you want to be great? You want your life to have meaning? Set your ambitions not towards higher authority or power, but set your ambition on service. Set your ambition on serving God and serving other people. That's what greatness is. Friends, Terwilliger Community Church, the world around you is demonstrating for you certain types of greatness. But that is not your path, follower of Jesus. Jesus has called us to something else. Greatness is found as we walk in step with Jesus. You want to look back and say you had a great life? You need to be able to look back and say, I walked in step with Jesus. You might look back and say, man, it it was tough sometimes. Jesus was leading me into places I wasn't sure about. Jesus was asking me to trust him in situations that I just thought there was no way. But man, Jesus is good. Man, Jesus is faithful. Walking with Jesus, it's a great life. A life of meaning. A life that is fulfilled. Why? Because that's why Jesus came, to give us life to the full. And He can give that to us because He created us. He knows us. Well, much can be said from this passage about servant leadership, the concepts of leadership. Um, Pastor Norb, a few weeks back, did such a good job uh, talking to us about servant leadership. And I encourage you to go back and and listen to that. Um, But this morning, I want to kind of leave that where Norb left it. And, And I want us to hear where Jesus might be saying to us, not so with you. But not so with you. Because the concept of greatness and leadership is, is really just one example where this comment from Jesus plays out. Friends, we need to learn to hear where Jesus is saying to us, but not so with you. And I want to very quickly hit on three things that I, I've been observing in our culture Three things that I've been, as I listen to people kind of share with me things they're struggling with and wrestling with. Uh, Three things where I see us really looking and taking cues from the world. 
where I believe Jesus is looking at us and saying, not so with you. The first is perfection. Perfection. Friends, we we live in a day and age where we think we can be perfect. (laughs) The problem with that is that the standard of perfection that our world has set for us is always changing. It's always changing. And we can go on Facebook and Instagram and watch TV and movies and we see images of perfect people who have perfect lives. But it's all a farce. (laughs) None of it's true. These people aren't actually perfect. But something in us groans and we long to be like them. We long to be perfect. We long to meet this standard that can never be reached. And we labor to achieve these things. We want perfect health. We want a perfect body. We want a perfect life with perfect kids, perfect family, no trial, no tribulation, no difficulties, perfect relationships. And then things go wrong. And then friends betray us. And then our bodies don't act the way we think they should. And things go off the rails. But friends, I want to suggest to us that in this area of perfection, Jesus is coming to us and saying, not so with you. Not so with you. And instead, Jesus brings to us this gospel of grace. An invitation for us to stop striving. To rest in the fact that we don't have to be perfect because Jesus is perfect. And that living a perfect life is casting ourselves upon Jesus. That in in the gospel we have this call to us to stop striving. Stop chasing after all these things. And instead rest in who Jesus says that we are. We aren't called to be perfect. Secondly, individualism. Individualism runs rampant in our world as well. Things I've often heard people say is that asking for help is weak. You should be able to make it on your own. That it's okay to be the one who's giving help to others, but it's not okay to receive help. We live in a world where people boast about managing life themselves. Managing their spirituality themselves. And what's happened in the church is we've started this culture where it's like, oh, it's just me and Jesus. You know, my, my relationship, it's just, it's just me and Jesus. You guys do what you do. It's just, it's me and Jesus. We look to the spirituality of our world that really teaches us and tells us that a spiritual path is about looking and retreating inward. And that when things aren't going okay in our lives, we need to go find ourselves. We need to escape and get out there and 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 discover something new about who we are. And while there's a time and a place for retreating, there's a time and a place to, to get away alone with God, the message of the New Testament, in terms of that type of individualism, I believe Jesus is saying to us, not so with you. That those of us who are in the church are called to be part and to participate in a community. 
in a body of believers that we're called to be part of a community that is burden-bearing, helping one another in our weaknesses. Jesus says to us, we, we can't do this on our own. And friends, so often the presence and help of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, comes to us in the form of community. But we push it away because we think that we need to be living in this individualistic world. That's not what God has made us for. I have so many people who come to me and tell me that they're struggling with anxiety and depression. And do you know what every single one of them says to me? I'm the only one with anxiety. I'm the only one who's depressed. I'm the only one. And this part of me is like, man, I just want to get all of you in a room and just say to you all, get you all in a room and say, look, all of you have anxiety. (laughs) Help one another. Care for one another. Bear one another's burdens. The gospel of grace is not that you have to have all this together to be a perfect person that breeds anxiety, that breeds depression. Rather, we come together in honesty and say, guys, I don't have it all together. I don't have it all together. I need you. I meet with a group of guys on a regular basis because I need their presence in my life because I can't do this alone. None of us can do this alone. So Jesus says to our individualistic society, not so with you, follower of Jesus. Stop thinking that you're on your own. I just need to add this too. If the only person that you talk to and confide in is your spouse, that's not enough. That is not enough. There are so many opportunities for you to connect with other people in this church. I encourage you to take advantage of them. Come to the men's retreat. Go to a women's retreat. Get to know other people in the church. Practice burden-bearing with one another. My third observation is in the whole area of identity. I see so many people who want to place their identity in their status in their jobs, in their contribution to society. Many of us want to place our identity in their children. As a new father, I find myself tripping on this a lot. Some of you want to place your identity in your grandchildren, in our competencies, in our popularity. We want to place our identity in our sexuality or our gender. But to all of that, Jesus says, not so with you. Follower of Jesus, your identity begins with the fact that you are a beloved child of God. That is where it starts. Our identity begins with the fact that that Jesus loves us. That God sent His Son to die for us. And He calls us His children. That statement that God makes over Jesus at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, that you are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased, that voice goes out to us today because of what Jesus has done to us. And that is the basis of our identity. 
Not our success, not our status, not the amount of money we have in the bank account. Not the vacations we can or can't go on. Not how successful our children or grandchildren are. Our identity begins with the fact that we are beloved children of God. Our identity does not rest on our appearance or how well our bodies work, how well we can perform, how hard we can work. Our identity begins with the fact that we are children of God. But friends, I think so often we fall into the trap of thinking that if I'm just perfect, if I can just make it on my own, if I can just find worth in something, then I'll have this great life Then I'll find meaning and purpose. But friends, Jesus comes to us, he says, not so with you. Greatness and meaning is walking in step with Jesus. It's walking in step with Jesus. And this is hard. But it's so worth it. It's so worth it. As I was saying earlier in in announcements, we're entering a season of Lent. And in the season of Lent, we are encouraged to remember our insufficiencies. We are called to think about our failings. (laughs) To think about our need for Jesus. Uh, The readings that we've provided, you'll notice, have that theme to it. Is this season of Lent is, is us saying, man, I need Jesus. That's why a lot of people choose to fast during Lent. To remind them of that need that they have for Jesus. In all of it, it is a call to repentance. Coming before God and saying, God, I, I'm sorry for how I chase after greatness in a way that you haven't called me to. God, I'm sorry for trying to do all of this on my own. God, I, I'm sorry for striving for perfection and burning out on that. And in Lent, we look to the cross and we see the great grace that's been given to us in Jesus. Friends, I encourage you this week to ask Jesus to speak to you about, Lord, where where are the areas in my life where you're saying not so with you? Where are the areas in my life that I'm I'm looking for approval and, and things in the wrong places? Take time this week to get alone with Jesus and ask him those questions. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much that you've created us and you know us. Lord, I just pray that each one of us would receive from you our identity, our sense of worth. And Father, we just pray now just that by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would be speaking to us Lord, that we would hear from you the areas in our life where you're saying, not so with you. Not so with you. We just invite your Holy Spirit to do a work in our lives. Change our hearts, O God. 
Help us to see greatness as you see greatness. Help us to find meaning as you desire us to find meaning. In Jesus' name, amen.